Is everything that's old worth something? Because the older it gets, the likelihood is that there's not as many of them left. Is it always worth something? Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I think it obviously depends on the thing you're talking about, but it doesn't mean older means more valuable or newer means more valuable. So in that regard, would it be always relative to what experience you're getting from it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess it depends on the person and the experience they get from that object or thing. Um, th- uh, thinking about this idea only, the one thing that I can relate to the most is about shoes and how a particular pair of shoes, even if it's old or new, with like just some details, like some differences can cost like $10,000 compared to like $200. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. And it's all because of like, okay, one shoe, which is basically brown, white, and black from Jordan can be like $200, but the same shoe, with the same colors, if it's like a collab, can be like $5,000, $4,000. Okay, so that's really interesting. My friend actually sells shoes. So he buys them on the drop for let's say $200 and they're a pair of like Travis Scott shoes and he sells them for like $2,500 like a week later. And I always find that so insane because I don't really get how that works and like sneakerheads and stuff. They all really understand that. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know much about it, but I kind of had a point about um, what were we talking about before? Like, is it a value to you kind of thing? I think the experience or whatever it is depends on the person. Like, it, it's whatever you give value to. So, like, we're talking about these shoes or these cards and all this stuff that is so valuable, but kind of like it doesn't make any sense. So, if it doesn't make any sense to you, then it has no value to you. So, it doesn't really matter. Well, I was just I, I was just gonna chime in and say like I think that's also an aspect that we haven't really gotten to yet is the like sort of like the personal value that we seek in this item. Like again, for me, I don't know much about Magic Gathering or Pokemon, but for somebody who grew up playing Pokemon cards, this one like Pikachu card or something like that might have been like their first card they ever got, like their childhood card. It might be a very like common one to like buy in packs but like because it was it has this like nostalgic this um this sort of aspect to them this personalness to them it means a lot and they would never ever sell it's a priceless card to them because it has all this value to them that they can only relate to that somebody who would say buy the card would never be able to access or be able to put a price on so we're going to have to come back to that idea again because that's an important one that idea that 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 item becomes a part of your mnemonic cycle mnemonic cycle being your memory life and how you start to live through your memory life so remember that idea about stuff that becomes part of our memories i feel like community and which like um a community that you belong to like okay not community but like uh, a group that you share some beliefs or like ideas with so basically about sneakers only a sneakerhead can only understand what a value of a shoe is because okay i collect sneakers and i can understand why a shoe is only two hundred dollars and why a shoe is ten thousand dollars but okay but a a non-sneakerhead may not never understand it it for them it's only a shoe 
But in the end, it's always only a shoe. I think that's really the key. It is only ever a shoe. And then there's what is layered on top of that that changes it. So as you say, sneakerhead, different kind of thing on top. Then shoe, utility value, different kind of thing on top. It doesn't mean that the shoe changes. And I think that's the key to the whole enterprise. The referent, the actual thing that is being uh, being considered, the thing to which we're referring, that's the same at the descriptive level. But what you interpret that to be, that changes depending on your position of reading. I'm just going to build up on what Lauren said about the Pokemon cards. So I remember like when I was in grade four, um, they were like hot top trending and everything. And I remember all of a sudden they released this golden pack to the like where they were like really powerful ones. So like, let's say Mew, there was a golden Mew card that everyone wanted. I remember everyone went ballistic and started searching for them. So like, um, I remember one day in class, like one of my friends came up with it and I was like, oh my God, you found the golden Mew card. And he's like, nah, I like Photoshopped it and made it my own. And he's like, I'm ready to sell it. And like the card looked so realistic. And I was just like, wow. Oh, that opens a whole other door that I forgot entirely about. But first Chloe, and then, and then we'll go down that door. I don't know if mine really relates to that, but this is kind of like in the media and also, yeah, what Megan said about um, that kind of stuff. So when I was 12, I made a fake Tim Hortons cup and a man stole it from my house. I think I've told you this, Ravi, right? Yeah, so then the media twisted it and said that like I switched the cup with his when he actually stole it, but that just reminded me of that, so... I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you had a good run from your, your fake Tim Hortons uh, fiasco. So I think it's good to bring it up. Changed my last name because of it. So, um, What Megan said earlier about someone just photoshopping a Pokemon card, the one thing I did, so the Travis Scott shoe that Chloe talked about, that's like one of the shoes that I really want, but it's too expensive. I can't afford it. But... So the thing is, I have a similar shoe with the same colors, but slight difference. And the thing about the Travis Scott shoe is that it comes with pink laces. And the shoe I have with the similar colors, I just got like pink laces and put it on it. So like, it makes me feel that I have that shoe in some way. If we're thinking about a central principle today, about the idea of media getting into our heads, and perhaps what you would almost describe as external mediation that becomes auto-mediation, where we start to mediate ourselves through these media-based relationships or information that comes to us, that point, linking to Megan's point about faking things, it really starts to uh, uh, take shape. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary. Would you ever buy something that was a knockoff? So a knockoff being something that is a replica of the real thing and walk around with it so as to claim that it was actually real so that you could fit in. Okay, I just know, um, so back home in Dubai, they have this thing called the black market where they sell like um, counterfeit bags, watches and everything. And it looks so realistic. And I know like, so... I had a few cousins, it's not me, but I had a few cousins that actually came up and they were like, oh, we want to like buy this, this and this. And my dad was like, okay, let me take you there. And so we went there and they bought like so many bags. And I was like, oh, those like, look, like look realistic. And then when they like went back home to like India and stuff and people actually believed them that they were like really Vuitton and Gucci and stuff. 
And so, yeah, they just wanted to fit in and pretend that, you know, they were like higher up class and everything. So, yeah. Okay, as a sneakerhead, I would personally not wear replicas because it does like just doesn't feel right. So the shoes I was talking about that I have, it's basically called the poor man's version of the shoes I want. Oh, well, that's an interesting thing. Because you're in the know, the shoes don't feel right. But do they still feel like shoes? It is shoe. It's a real shoe. Like, it's an original shoe from Jordan. But, like, just the colors, like, the colors make it similar to the one, like, the shoe I want. But it's still considered a poor man's version of that shoe that I want. Uh, yeah, just talking about the shoes, it's uh, super interesting and in talking about fakes. Um, I collect a few sneakers myself, and so I'm, I follow a bunch of shoe pages on Facebook and stuff like that. And often people are doing um, what are called legit checks on their pages. And so they'll post pictures of a potential shoe they're going to buy and pretty much ask the community whether or not they think they're real or not. And it's interesting because obviously they're going to be spending hundreds to thousands of dollars on a pair of shoes. So they want to make sure they're real because they don't want to feel like inauthentic and as though they bought the wrong thing, whether or not it's like pretty much the same. They want to feel as though it's the, the real thing that they spend their money on. It's an interesting thing that throughout all of the episodes we've had uh, so far, and this is different from year to year, but in this particular year, there is a, a recurring theme of authenticity and questioning the, co- the notion of authenticity, and particularly the notion of authenticity as related to mediation or other forms of auto-mediation, where we start to regulate ourselves by virtue of thinking about what is the representation that this is mapping onto that I am going to be able to claim or be able to describe by, by this relationship. So as you're talking about, you're looking at authentic sneakers. And as Bavisha talked about, the idea that I know that these are real shoes, but they're not the shoes that are the real version of the shoes because they didn't come from the factory in that form. I can make them to look like that. And if I do so, I do it for me so I can feel different, but I also know that they're not legit, even though they're roughly speaking legit enough. And why I bring this up has to do with the idea that we should perhaps consider. If the notion of media getting into our heads removes the notion of the physical having the same level of value as the ephemeral, the way we think about things, does that mean that the person who buys the fake is perhaps more buying into the media version or the mediated version of value than the person who buys the real thing? So if you lay out the thousand bucks and you get the real deal, or if you lay out the 50 bucks at the black market that Megan did not go to, and you get the fake version that you got so that it might look real to other people, does that mean that you really want it to be real or people to believe that it's real so that you can get the value that if it were real, you would be getting from the shoes? Whereas the person who has the money and gets the shoe, are they just doing it because they have the money and they can get the shoe? I, I remember in my high school, so this is actually kind of a problem in my high school, because again, I'm from a small town, there was only one high school, so you had a mixture of the kids with parents who had a lot of money that they would buy them these expensive shoes for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or something. Then you had the kids who would never be able to um, afford shoes like this. And so I remember when I was like 13, 14, like just starting high school, 
like Yeezys came out. They they got dropped for the first time and they're like the coolest thing ever to like us like 14, 15 year olds probably actually. Um, and so it was a thing where these kids who had money, they, they probably got them for Christmas that year or something. And, but then you had these kids that like, again, we were 14, barely even legal enough to be working a job. And then you all of a sudden saw these kids that probably wouldn't have been able to afford them, get them. And so you had all these kids who maybe have the authentic things go up to these kids that probably people were questioning how they were able to afford them, um, like question them and stuff like that. And all of a sudden there was a lot of this like harassment and bullying happening and almost like a turf war because of their shoes. And it just became this thing where at lunchtime you would have kids who maybe had these authentic Yeezys go up to the kids that maybe didn't have authentic Yeezys and start just like picking on them and harassing them and just became like this huge problem in my high school where like pretty much these 14 year olds were going after each other because one person said they had the authentic shoe and they and you could see that they who knows that they did or not. And then they were just like, yeah, I have authentic shoes. And these kids that maybe did have the authentic shoes saying, prove it to me, prove it to me. And then all of a sudden it would just be people fighting and like, I don't know, like physically fighting each other to grab the shoes off of each other to like show like, oh, you have the shoelace. So it's not authentic and you're lying. And it just became a huge problem in my high school where like, here I am as an outsider being like, they're just shoes. Who cares? <laughs> like they're, they're a fun design, but in the end, who cares? But yeah, it became a big problem in my high school. You know, I don't think that it's unique to your high school. And in fact, historically, that uh, that trajectory of as sneakers became more and more sought after, then sneakers in particular have been uh, a rallying cry for that same sort of social violence as a result of, of those kinds of acquisition patterns. If you have it, then you represent a certain thing. And if you don't have it, then there's this external pressure. That means that you're not that thing. And more importantly, by virtue of class, you cannot be that thing. And sometimes if you're on the other side of that class equation where you're the person who is occupying a space where that is a financial moment towards which you strive, getting it doesn't necessarily change your class. It just means you have the thing that represents that acknowledgement that you are at a different class. Um, so I was just going to add that I think it depends on not only your perspective, but also where you are in the world. Because like, for example, I grew up in Jordan and in Jordan, it was pretty, I want to say, um, common for knockoffs to be sold in like markets. With, and I wouldn't call them black markets, really. It's just um, like in downtown areas and common areas, like they would have, you know, knockoffs being sold all the time. And I think most of the people that um, would buy it, would know that it, they are knockoffs because they would be sold at a like at an incredibly uh, lower price. And I think it's just about the necessity of it. So I don't think like, th like to relate this to value pretty much, I don't think it has to do with being a fan of anything or, um, or rarity even, or like, or even nostalgia here, which are all, of course, like they all are good at, um, like they're, they all contribute to something's value. But I think in, in cases like these, it's probably just about necessity and that it's just there and it's just a knockoff that's there. And so people buy it. So, um, yes, I've definitely bought a couple of knockoffs like back in Jordan, uh, just as I'm walking through the markets and I'm like, okay, that seems like it's good quality or when I know that it is good quality, plus, you know, it happens to have that brand name or whatever, then I guess so. But, um, I wouldn't go out of my way to, to do so. 
And that's a good cult, uh, addition. There's a cultural specificity to it because in some places it's insulting to pay the price that you were asked. And in other places, it's also insulting to pay a ridiculous amount of money and walk around with something that asserts that level of distinction because there are cultural values of piety being frugal and responsible rather than excess. And sometimes paying that much money for some shoes is an admission of corruption or an admission of not necessarily being uh, deferent to the prevailing social norms. Uh, as Lauren talked about Yeezys earlier, so what Kanye did was he was working with, with Nike earlier and then he switched to Adidas. But he, they both made Yeezys, like both Nike and Adidas. But the Nike ones are worth like five to seven thousand dollars to like ten, fifteen thousand dollars, and like the Adidas ones are just like two, three hundred bucks. Just because, like, when Kanye made his Yeezys through Nike, he was at his prime. He's considered to be at his prime, and those are rare shoes. But like the ones he's making with Adidas right now, they're like general, like general releases. Like everyone has it right now. So there's the idea there that rarity makes a difference, but that that rarity creates a value that is community-oriented and not exclusively just material. There are fewer of them, so they're worth more, but there may be fewer of them and they're inferior, so they might be worth less. But the only reason they're worth more is because the community has demand for the original or the earlier version. Um, I'm just um, agreeing with what Taylor was saying about, um, like when I was in Bali, there was a bunch of fake Ray-Bans and everything like that, like at the market and stuff. And I'm obviously everybody knew they were fake. And it, I think it's just more about their sunglasses. So like people are going to buy them and they're super cheap. And I don't think people really care that they're fake in a sense. It's just like they give your eyes protection. Um, so I think sometimes fakes don't really, some people just don't really care or they do, but it's like, why would you spend so much money when you could get them for cheap? And there's not much of a difference. Touching on like the sense of community that you mentioned and how certain things kind of have a cult following uh, for almost what seems to the outsider as no apparent reason. Um, one that comes to mind would be, uh, uh, I don't know if any of you guys know about cars, but Subaru Impreza's, for example, like a 2005 Subaru Impreza WRX with like 250,000 kilometers will people sell them for like $15,000 and there's far better cars and like way newer cars you can get for $15,000. And don't get me wrong, like Subarus are decent cars, but they're nothing special. But yet you have this group of people with like the cult following around Subarus that's is willing to pay that premium and pay that $15,000 just to be a part of that Subaru community and be able to say like, Oh, I have this 2005 WRX, even though it's, debatably not much better than any car of the same age. So within that, the idea of the community that creates value is an important one because it is going back to that idea of auto mediation is that idea that we create value out of objects and we ascribe that value onto those objects. So the fact that it's worth that much is because of the community and not because of the object itself. The object value of a car that gets up in mileage is um, reduced on many material levels and for some people it's increased because it is a sign or a, a marker of a particular kind of achievement and that achievement is what people are looking for and that and that membership you can't be a member of a subaru club without a subaru just like you can't be a member of the vw club without a vw there's lots of different ways in which we start to think about our relationships 
and our location in the world by the stuff we have and what the representation that that stuff provides allows us to say we we agree with. Um, talking about communities, like what the community considers a superior thing. So the phenomena or like the thing which is going around and like the brands and community like sneaker communities checks over stripe checks basically meaning like the nike tech and stripe is adidas three stripes and everywhere and everywhere like anywhere like i don't know why nike is always considered to be a superior to adidas and it shows in like the kanye example i gave earlier as well so if you think about the notion of the production of a pair of Nike shoes, a pair of Nike shoes made in Vietnam may have a material, an actual physical value of 3 to 4 or $5, but sells for $200. The $200 comes from a variety of different things that have to do with demand, it has to do with uh, distribution, it has to do with all sorts of other things. But most importantly, a significant portion of that has to do with the idea of the clout you're buying as a result of it. So you're buying marketing. You're buying a belief system, you're buying the support system that Nike then uses the rest of that cushion for to create a condition of value so much removed from the material that it doesn't almost even matter how much they cost to make. Yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm, I want to go back to Lauren point when my computer li like shut down because I was like listening to her story and I thought like when she said about like the shoe problem and the bullying inside the school, like especially like for the new generation or the children, when they are introduced like to new value and the new like uh, way to see like how the world like they should uh, operate it or think of it or think about the other person. So like uh, just like this, uh, like giving the value to this stuff that we use, like materialistic speaking whether it was like this stuff or like we need it isn't it like group us according like to interest or to stuff that it was uh offered or to us through the media through the environment or the religion or anything but at the same time i was just thinking about like what should it be like the real value of like just any human being like you should uh teach it like you know in order to agree or just on one basic thing before uh, being or grouping against each other according to our value which is happening right now you're listening to culture is ordinary that idea of our stuff speaks about us and for us and describes our social location, that's one that has persisted for a long time. And, and I agree with you, Noala, and, and from Lauren's example, the idea that there is a fraught relationship with the stuff we have and how it comes to represent us. If we go back again, as we did in a previous episode, to discuss the notions that come out of Pierre Bourdieu's notions of uh, habitus and the idea of the conspicuous consumption that he bases off of uh, Thorsten Veblen and so on. The idea of conspicuous consumption is you buy certain things to show off what value it is that those things provide or that those things represent. And so you conspicuously consume things and you, you, you place them forward. Whereas Pierre Bourdieu suggests the idea of habitus. You know what things are right and what things are, are worth something based on how you're brought up. So you might be brought up in a household that says, 
You only get things that are useful to you. You don't buy things that have no material value to you. And that's a value that your family might inscribe upon you. But then you don't just live in a household. You live in a community. You live with friends. You live with people around you. You live in a social grouping. And in his description, what he said was, if you go to a party, and at this dinner party, there are people wearing clothes that look ordinary, but they're, you know, fairly simple looking clothes. The people at the party who know that what you're wearing, even though there's no logo on it, is a designer brand and is worth many thousands of dollars, those people are the kind of people who are in the know. And the lower along the lines you are, and you buy a Louis Vuitton shirt or a bag or something like that, you want to make sure that the logo is visible so that everybody knows that you have a Louis Vuitton or that you have a Gucci, uh, a Gucci purse or a Gucci t-shirt. You'll note that the people who wear actual Gucci clothes, they don't have a logo on them. They, have, they might have a label in the background, and the people who are proper and valued members of the Gucci community, they'll know what each of those things is worth. But because you may not necessarily be there at that level, you need the logo to tell people, I have this, and that means something about me. Yeah, that just brings up uh, an interesting thought to my head. Um, kind of the difference between people that are wealthy and people that want to appear wealthy. Um, and one example that came up is I used to work at uh, the Mercedes-Benz dealership here in Nanaimo. And um, I got told to detail a $400,000 Mercedes AMG GTR. Unreal car, like there's only a couple of them in Canada. And so I detailed the car and I brought the keys back to give to a customer. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be someone and like, I don't know, someone that looks dressed like they're just fancy or in a suit or something like that. And so I asked my manager um, who to give the keys to. And in walks this guy in cargo shorts, a Cabela's hat, and just a graphic T-shirt. And my manager says, oh, yeah, that's him right there. And I hand him the keys. And it was just a bizarre like feeling that there, this guy that had a $400,000 car just looked like the average Joe walking down the street. And so I think that comes to play with the looking wealthy versus actually being wealthy and whether or not you need to flaunt what you have. That's really interesting, actually, because that's not in, con, uh, inconsistent with various experiences that I've had as well. Not necessarily always direct experiences, but people who have a ton of money don't necessarily need to worry about showing off how much money they have. And often they go out of their way to not show how much money they have. And there are really interesting you know, dissonances between that representational practice of trying to walk like you own the place versus just actually owning the place and doing what you want. And there's a different kind of freedom attached to that representationally. What does a $400,000 car actually offer that the $50,000 car doesn't offer? Or the $20,000 car? Or the fact that you have a car? What does that offer? There is a place in which you say $400,000 for a car makes sense if you have the money. And a place in which you say, I have the money and it never makes sense because that's a lot of money. And we have to think about how media helps us define that value and how we bring that forward into the rest of our life. You're listening to Culture is Ordinary, a podcast about media and cultural studies. Today's episode was brought to you by David, Benjamin, and Tim, Megan, Lauren, and Palisha, Chloe, and me, Ravindra Mohabir. Bye for now.